0: Today's podcast is sponsored by FastBitcoins.com. FastBitcoins provides a simple way for people to buy Bitcoin directly from their bank account or with cash in physical stores. Their services are rapidly growing in availability across the UK, Estonia, as well as Canada, and they're launching in Australia soon, too. FastBitcoins is committed to providing high quality Bitcoin only services. They want to make sure that the growing number of people interested in buying and benefiting from the possibilities of Bitcoin can do so easily, securely, and with as few distractions as possible. Learn more about Fast Bitcoin's range of services at fastbitcoins.com, including how you can earn Bitcoin for free through their referral scheme. That is fastbitcoins.com. Fastbitcoins.com. Go check them out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick of destined for fame. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world, I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to James Wythe, who is a UK-based food blogger and also a health coach as well. So welcome to the show, James. How are you doing?
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Zuby.
0: That's my pleasure, man. So we're going to be, uh, you've got a really interesting story. We met a few months ago, actually, in Bournemouth. Funnily enough, I think it was at a it was at a cryptocurrency related event, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. And then we both found out that you know we're both uh do our own thing online with me and my my music and my podcast and you and your food blogging and everything. So um, yeah, I feel like this is long overdue. So I've given um, a very short summary of who you are there, but why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners?
2: Yeah, sure. So yeah, we met at that crypto event and I think we just bonded straight away just from actually having a social media type following, um, which can obviously be an interesting space on its own. So I run a food blog called Healthy Living James, uh, specializing in gluten, dairy, egg and refined sugar-free recipes. But not just that, mainly just focused on sort of healthy recipes that are trying to inspire people to cook from home, essentially. Uh, And I started that about three and a half years ago
0: now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And um, how did you get into this space? I mean, you told me about it when we first met, but you've got a really interesting story that led you into this. So we can talk a little bit more about the sort of direct work you do and the food blog and everything like that. But I'm interested in the journey of how you you came to this position.
2: Yeah, sure. So when I was... If we go way back, I was um, a good golfer. So I studied, um, focused on golf for when I was... So I started when I was 10, um, Mm -hmm. focused on that and become quite good at it by the age of 14 or so. Uh, I started playing for Dorset and uh, Dorset Junior's team, Dorset Men's team, and then built up to where I was playing for Bournemouth University and it was my whole focus was golf I wanted to be a professional golfer Uh, so my whole life was sort of driven towards that goal Mm -hmm. Um, very goal-driven person so that was something I really wanted to achieve and suddenly at the age of 21 I woke up one morning and wasn't feeling very well Uh, I was sick for two weeks straight and it was felt like food poisoning so Okay I spoke to the doctor. They said there's classic foods poisoning symptoms, and that I would get better. Um, if anything, I' got worse. I wasn't being sick anymore, but i was the energy levels had just plummeted. I just was feeling shocking uh, so I waited probably a month or six weeks and then just wasn't improving so it. I felt like something wasn't right, Um, but I just kept pushing and pushing myself. I went on holiday with my parents and came back, and I suddenly crashed badly. I wasn't able to talk. I couldn't stand up. I wasn't eating. Yeah, I was in a very bad way. Mm. Uh, So my dad had to physically carry me to the doctors, um, and I remember the doctor speaking to me saying, you know, what are your symptoms? And all I could say was ambulance. I had nothing in me apart from that word. Wow. So they rushed me in for a suspected brain tumor. Obviously super scary time from someone that was so fit and healthy and could do pretty much everything um, yeah. to being in that situation. So I was rushed in, kept in for two weeks, and had every test you could imagine. Everything came back clear. Like it was kind of a relief that I didn't have those things, but then I was still left in the open with no answers yeah they said that it was probably a virus and that i needed to just go home and rest Mm -hmm. um so it kind of was like a good answer but not in a way it was was strange it was a strange feeling um so i went home and rested uh nothing really changed if anything i just deteriorated for the next few months i was in a dark room Uh, couldn't even have the blinds open, couldn't watch TV, wasn't able to text or even hold a conversation. Wow. So I was in a very dark place for probably three months of that where I was like that.
0: And this just just came out of nowhere? Yeah. That's crazy.
2: Yeah, completely out of nowhere. Um, And like I said, from someone that was so active and could – play 36 holes of golf in a day, which is a good 10 mile walk. Mm -hmm. You know, that's pretty, uh, shocking place to be in. Um, so I then was say three months and then I was slowly starting to like be able to tolerate a few things a little bit better. Like I was able to tolerate light a little bit better. Um, I could actually eat again and slowly sort of improved a little bit that way. But the six-month mark, that's when I had nutritionists come to visit me. Okay. Uh, I was diagnosed with ME, also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh ME stands for myalgic encephalitis. Okay. Um, which is a it's a very mis a lot of people would have heard of it, but it's a very misunderstood illness. I think years back it was called yuppie flu. Um Yuppie flu. Yeah, years <laughs> back. I don't know how long ago that okay. was, but it was a <laughs> long means. time ago. Okay. Um so it's very it's always had sort of a bad stigma around it, I would say, and very mislike they will only diagnose you without me after six months, or that was the case back when I was ill. This was nine years ago now. Okay. Um so I was I was diagnosed with that and told that I basically just there was no cure, there's no cure to it. Like there's no so, uh, tablets or anything like that that can cure you it's uh, mm. they basically say to you that you know you're on your own and you've got a they, they have no answers for it essentially that's crazy i mean wh- yeah. what's the
0: what's the cause of it is it is they it viral know. is it viral is it hereditary or?
2: they don't really know this wow. is this is a the thing they don't know what, what it's caused by how to you know get better i think the problem is is that a lot of people that suffer with it have a completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's kind of a blanket term that is used to, for symptoms that the doctors don't understand. So there's, I think there's an underlying cause that's different for a lot of people,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but they don't know what it is. Okay. So for me, I was the, the nutritionist that came to visit me said that you need to try cutting out gluten and dairy and see how changing your diet, taking a few supplements, whether that can help you, mm-hmm. uh, so I did that religiously. Uh, my mum was my carer for the, the two years that I ended up being bed bound for. Wow, so she would cook all my meals for me, um, and we were always very health conscious anyway. We weren't you know eating tons of takeaways or anything like that. were always fairly a health conscious family mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't a huge change for my mum cooking wise, maybe a few adjustments here and there at the start. And we started to notice that I was improving not quickly, but bit by bit, to the point where I could then get out of bed and walk to the window that was a few meters away. Mm -hmm. Then that would burn me out for a few days and then I would do it again to the window. So and I you know slowly built up, built up to the point where then I could go down the stairs, but I'd have to lay down on the sofa for a few hours before I could make it back up the stairs. Yeah. So it was a very gradual process. And from someone that, like I said about golf, that had this mentality of push, push, push non-stop, like trying to be better and always perform better. That was a really hard thing to take mentally. Yeah. That was probably the the biggest thing that I've learned out of the whole process now is how mentally strong I'd say I am now. From this whole process yeah
0: I mean you, you must be I mean what was what was going through your mind during that time I mean that's uh so you you were stuck in bed essentially for two years two in your years. early 20s I mean yeah that's that's crazy I mean as someone who's very active myself who loves exercise and training and stuff I mean I got you know, like I, I struggle to even fathom what that would what that would be like I mean as we are recording this you know we're we're in the midst of um, this uh, this coronavirus pandemic. Some people have been stuck in the house for maybe five days to, you know, five to 10 days. And, you know, myself included, I'm already like, okay, I want to go to the gym. I want to, you know, go and do this and that. People are already, you know, sort of losing their minds a little bit. And I, I can't even fathom for two years sort of being bed bound, especially not even knowing what the reason is either.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's... it's- when I think back, because obviously it was seven or so years ago, well, it started nine years ago. So mm. it feels, I feel like a lot of it I've kind of like put in the back of my mind and don't bring like think about too much, Yeah. but kind of when I've listened to a lot of sort of people moaning about the situation we're in right now and <laughs> they're being locked up, it kind of, it's it's different obviously because now I'm in this situation where I'm being, you know, isolated, but I feel much, much better. Yeah. So it, it's different. Like when you're ill and confined, you kind of don't have a choice. But I think when you're healthy and fit and full of energy, it, it's even worse in a way being locked up because you can't you, you want to go out, but you mm. whereas if you're ill you can't. Like yeah, do you know true. what I mean? It's a different mindset. Sure.
0: Um,
2: but during that that time it was incredibly tough from the point that you said where I didn't know what was going on. No one could give me answers. The mm. only answer I was getting from the doctors was you're on your own. Like, you know, you're gonna have to find your own way through this. I had no no support there at all, apart That's from obviously family family around me. Um
0: yeah. I just think it's it's nuts. It it's so weird to hear of a of any condition where I mean even even with most stuff the doctors don't really know all of the ins and outs of you know they normally at least know and they, they normally know something you know there's normally some sort of answer or recommendation or something it's, it just sounds so weird to me for them to just be like well sorry man like we we don't know uh, yeah good luck like
2: and that, that that was essentially what it was so I skipped past one of the points where I was actually rushed back into hospital again um during that um probably about the year mark of being bedbound, because it got to a point where the doctors said do you think you're depressed and I was like well never suffered with depression before I was ill and I was kind of like lo- you know laughing in a way because I was like well you know if you've been in bed for a year you'd probably be a little bit depressed too and you yeah. I mean any, anyone would be but it's not the cause of me being there mm-hmm. you know I'm not laying here because I'm depressed." And depressed because i'm here yes. like so it was tricky because i was so desperate like i just all i wanted to do was get out and play golf again like you know be normal again and so you said do you want to try taking um um uh, ant- uh what, what's the word antidepressants okay yeah, and yeah. and i said well you know i'll give it a go feeling that you know it might make me feel better or it might be a miracle cure. I did. I, I didn't know, so I, I tried them. Put they put me straight in hospital. I had severe allergic reaction. Oh no! Yeah, uh, I was rushed into hospital. It felt like my whole body was going to explode. Like I was literally felt like my veins were going to pop. Like they were on fire. It was yes. a horrific experience. Yeah. Um. So I was rushed in, and the doctors even said to me, "There, you know, are you hearing voices?" And I was like, "Come on, guys. You no." Know, I know they need to ask these certain questions, but I just felt so crap. Like I felt so ill.
0: Yeah.
2: And you're asking me that type of question. I'm like, well, no, I'm just, just, I need help. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, just someone yeah, help yeah. me. I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not very well and I need to get back to where I was. Yeah. Um, and I think past that point, I lost a lot of trust in the, the medical sector for my condition. Yeah, I so I kind of just went at it on my own. I've, I think I've been back to the doctors twice since that day, only for, you know, if I've been, had a cough and need to just get things checked up. But I'm, I stay away, really. And I think, yeah, with, with what's going on right now, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so the isolation part now is kind of tricky because I do play golf again now. And it's, kind of, it's a different mindset. It's, yeah, sure. But I don't find it particularly hard, you know. Yeah. Well, you've uh,
0: had some unfortunate but probably valuable mental and physical training.
2: Yeah, and like you were saying we, before this, we were saying that we both work from home. So mm-hmm. it's kind of doesn't necessarily feel that different to us even though the whole this is an aura isn't there around right now that's just weird. Yeah. Because this definitely. has never happened. So, but I'm not finding it particularly hard right now. <laughs>
0: So, so talk us through a little bit more. So we started to talk about your, the changes in your diet. So you said you cut out gluten and you cut out dairy yeah. and what were the, what was the result of that?
2: So it wasn't a quick change, like a, a quick improvement. It was, you know, over a few months because the, the progress that I had was so slow. It was really hard to you know, pinpoint exactly what was helping me. Um but if you do have, you know, a damaged gut and, and these issues, it can take five years to actually heal it. So mm-hmm. um I would say six months, it felt like it started to really make a difference. Um so we're talking now up to the year point where I then had that allergic reaction, was put back in. Mm-hmm. Um so and then through the next year it was all focused around nutrition, taking a few supplements. Um, Cutting out gluten and dairy, just eating home cooked—you know, my mum's cooked food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a very focused around nutrition for me. In that, the next year, from me making it from that allergic reaction to the two-year point where I then made it, I would then call myself housebound more than bedbound. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. And so, I mean, how did you know that? So. How did you know that it was the gluten and the dairy that sort of made, made the difference? Um, it was t-
2: only one of two things I was doing. So okay. it was cutting out the gluten and dairy and eating you know, more um, home-cooked food. Okay. And then also the, um, a few supplements that I was taking as well. Mm. I-, I think th- probably overall three things really helped me. Uh, I had Bowen therapy, which is a type of massage that I was having, and that's spelled B-O-W-E-N. Okay. Uh, you can find practitioners across the UK for that. So I was having that, the gluten and dairy, cutting out the gluten and dairy, and also um, a few supplements that I was taking. I think all three of those came together to really make me stronger um, mm. and help me recover.
0: Gotcha. So in the so in the work you do now, you primarily focus around foods that are free of gluten and free of dairy so yeah. look, most people don't have a dairy intolerance or allergy nor one for gluten so what is it about those two well one of them is more of a food group one of them is more uh, you know what, what would you even call Gluten, gluten is technically like a—it's like a starch, really, isn't it? Yeah, Um, yeah.
2: it's a gluey sort of ingredient.
0: Yeah. What is it about those two things that you that you think or that you know, both for yourself and sort of for some other people as well out there, for some percentage of the population, those things seem to cause an issue. I'm just trying to understand the the link between the condition that you had and those two food items if you see what yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing obvious that's like oh yeah cut out dairy or cut out gluten and that will help you see what i mean
2: i think they're generally considered as like inflammatory for your gut so mm-hmm. because no one really understands what's going on in the sort of me situation for each, in yeah. each individual um i think it was more from the nutritionist side it was a case of uh, the gut has a big role in you know, your overall health for everybody. Uh, so I think trying to strengthen the gut side was probably her first instinct, was to try and see if things like that made a difference. Mm-hmm. So I know gluten and dairy are very inflammatory for people's guts. So if you do have any type of like IBS or leaky gut or stuff like that, they're the common things to try and... Cut out to see if you improve, um, and like I said earlier, it can take years and years and years of gut healing to mm. um, to be able to eat those again. So
0: okay, so we've talked about the we've talked about the the sad part and the, the so, yeah. some, somewhat depressing part of the story. Yeah, but anyone who has seen your work now or who follows you on Instagram or any other social media will know that actually your work is very much. Um, it's very bright and colorful and tasty and delicious looking. In fact, I haven't, I haven't tried any of the food, but you know, I follow you on Instagram. So I see some of the pictures popping up. If I go to your page, it's all you know, colorful and looks very appetizing and everything. So tell us a little bit more about how you got into the world of food blogging and doing what you do now.
2: It's been a crazy journey. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, yeah, it's full of colorful food now. So once I've made it past that Bed bound stage I was then in the housebound stage and me and my um, girlfriend then which who's now my wife we decided to get a flat together in Bournemouth um, so we moved in and she was obviously out working to support both of us mm. so I had a lot of free time now um, and my mum was cooking for me before so I had to then start cooking for myself so I kind of like didn't have a choice at the start. Like it was something I had to do to survive. Um, And then I discovered that I actually quite enjoyed it Mm -hmm. more and more and it became my passion and like something I look forward to each day because it was the only thing I really was doing. So it gave me a focus and something to take off, take my mind off of what situation I was in. Mm -hmm. So I would have a chair in my kitchen that I would pull up and cook. And sit down on because I didn't still have the energy to stand up for probably more than ten or fifteen minutes. Okay. So my focus became okay. Well, I need to cook gluten and dairy free, healthy home cooked food with little energy. So mm-hmm. I then taught myself how to cook those type of recipes with from my ch- from a chair. So okay. it then developed into a, a real passion of mine. I built up sort of a library of recipes and learned completely self-taught how to cook I don't really think I'd cooked before I was ill properly you know? okay like so
0: how, how did you do it was it just trial and error were there certain yeah. people you were following online or was it just throwing things together
2: pretty much just tracking okay. <laughs> things together and seeing what happened um because back then there wasn't really anyone doing you know gluten mm-hmm. and dairy free meals like okay. this we're talking seven years ago okay true You know, nowadays, it's a crowded space. But back then, there wasn't really anything going on. So I had to figure that out myself. And it came to a point where friends and family said that I needed to share the journey, which scared me because it was, I'd never done anything like that before. So having to put my life from being so confined and like hidden behind the scenes to then put myself in front of people again was weird, like a pretty scary thought. But I just thought, you know, let's give it a go. Yeah. See what happens.
0: Awesome, man. So, so how did you begin to document it and what platform did you document on? Was that on Instagram? Was it YouTube? How, how did you go about doing it or a
2: blog? Yeah. So I started a WordPress blog. Okay. Um, I wrote, I decided when I was going to do it, it was, uh, early 2016, mm-hmm. uh, probably the first few months, maybe February 2016. So I, I said to myself, right, I'm going to create the recipes that I'd said that I'd sort of bundled together. Um, but at this point, I was only probably 50% recovered as well. So it was taking me quite a long time to you know, put this content together. I'd never taken a proper photo before in my life. So it was trying to do all of that. Um, It took me time, so it probably took me six months to get about 20 recipes onto the blog. Um, And I started social media platforms at the time that I launched the blog, which was August 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, And I put it out to the world and focused mainly on Instagram and Facebook. What made you
0: pick those two platforms?
2: I think Instagram was because it's so visual. Okay. And... Facebook probably because it was still the most popular back then. Mm-hmm. Um
0: it still is to be honest, actually. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it right. still is actually by, by quite a long shot. But it? It, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's like it's still the most popular, but it's not like it's not like the most trendy. But in yeah. terms of in terms of numbers, in terms of users, it's still uh, you know, over two billion and there's oh. nothing close to that. Yeah.
2: I, I notice the difference in age groups between the two yes. that I get interaction is quite different now. Mm. Um, so th- those are the two that I focused on. I, th- I mainly focused on Instagram out of both of those. Like that okay. was the place where I felt most comfortable. Like it was somewhere that it wasn't so much about the words. Um, yes. And hence why I don't really use Twitter. Like I know you <laughs> focus heavily on Twitter. Sort of yeah. Words aren't my strength. I um, yeah, no, that makes sense. I sort of, the image, I use the image to portray what I'm doing, type thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Twitter is one of those that I I have, um, but it's it's always been a trickier place for me for yeah. my type of content.
0: Of course, I, I tell with every creator. It, it depends on it depends on what you do, and it depends on your own style of communication. I, I mean, I I'm a rapper, I'm a podcaster, yeah. I'm a public speaker, so everything I do is word based, and the way I think and the way I can see it, like it's all very, you know, I can I can do visuals. I can do video, but my natural inclination is towards words. So I'm, i kind of use all the others. You know, I do use Instagram, I do use Facebook and YouTube, but Twitter is sort of my I feel like Twitter was sort of made for me, if you know what yeah. I mean. In the way yeah, that exactly. kind of feel Instagram was made for
2: you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that your content comes across the best in the space that you feel most comfortable as well. Yeah. And you'll enjoy and where it. More, it feels, so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's social media is all about once you build a following. Um, like we both have done now, like it becomes a place that still has to be enjoyable for you because if you're not enjoying it, it's useless. Like it's just not a good place to be. Um, so it's still got to be very enjoyable for both of us in, in the area that you're focused on.
0: And how did you go about, um, how did you go about building up your following? I mean, on, I know on Instagram now you've now got well over 70,000 followers on there. Um, and of course, a lot of work and time goes into that. So, how did you, in the initial stages, how did you start to build an audience around what you were doing?
2: I just turn. Oh, I've always just turned up every single day. You know, okay. I've never. I might have a few days break here and there, but I've always showed up every day. Um, mm. I think that's the thing that people don't. Take into consideration when they start. You have to be consistent, like turning up daily. Plus, the algorithms on Instagram were a lot more friendly back three years ago than That's they true. are now. That's um, true. It's, uh, and I've noticed that when I probably when I had say five or ten thousand followers, um, which I built fairly quickly, I'd mm-hmm. say the first five thousand I built quite quickly don't know how i just sort of turned up and i think being a new person on the scene in a heavily female dominated market
1: mm, being a
2: young guy yeah so my market the type of food that i create is so i mean i've never found a guy like me i still <laughs> haven't i've not found a guy that creates recipes or content like me yeah. in the food space okay that's uh, interesting so i think that kind of hit the mark as well um, mm. and being quite unique in that aspect so I just turned up every day built that 5,000 followers and I felt like now I'd say I average say anywhere between a thousand to fifteen hundred likes on the photo mm-hmm. and I would say I was getting that when I had 10,000.
0: Yeah it's weird like that it's, it's yeah. weird, both with Facebook and Instagram which are obviously both owned by Facebook their algorithms over time have become uh, yeah it's it's part of actually why I also like Twitter is because Twitter Twitter is still shifty with the algorithm and I don't know I mean I got temporarily suspended last month for something I saw crazy.
2: that yeah I saw yeah, that.
0: so, so I, I, unfortunately I don't feel like I can trust I can't really totally put my trust in any of these platforms now because they've all just done too many things over the years that I think are sort of morally dubious and questionable and very subjective but um you know Hey, it's where people are, it's it's what it's what we use. So, you know, you've kinda of gotta take the take. It's
2: always scary that the amount of power that's there because I've taken three and a half years to build that type of following on oh, yeah. Instagram and it could be gone tomorrow. Dude, know?
0: Yeah, it's and it's and it's hard to migrate people, you know, it is hard to migrate people. It's something I think a lot about. I mean, on my Twitter, I mean, when I got suspended at two hundred and ten thousand followers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like more than the population of Bournemouth. It's like I don't it's crazy. I've got, I've got some of those people on other places and some on my mailing list and stuff, but I don't have all of them. And I mean, I've been on social media a long time. I used to use MySpace back in the day. And I remember yeah. on, I built my MySpace up to like 30,000 people. And that was before MySpace sort of like died. So that was like me, for me, that was like an early lesson of, oh, wow, you know, you can put all this focus on one platform and build it up and then something can happen in a, in a year suddenly you you can no longer reach all these people. But there's still no, you know, I'm sure you have an email list and some other things, but it's difficult because there's there's no sort of perfect, I haven't yet worked out sort no. of like the ideal way to get people off of those things and onto other things. I, I'm always trying different things, but it's tricky.
2: Yeah, it's very tricky to, because obviously people tend to gravitate to their, main social platform don't they so yeah. to try and get someone off of that platform so like obviously stories now have the swipe ups or have done for a while now. yeah yeah and the, you you really have to hit the nail on the head with the content to get people off of sc- stories So you know when you, you know when you're scrolling through stories you're like clicking skipping whatever so for someone to actually engage and swipe up mm is quite a, a hard thing to get yeah. um, because it's kind of like a game now, isn't it? It's like <laughs> skipping through stories or just taking in the information that you want and skipping past the rest. Yeah. So it, it is tricky. Like I do have an email list as well. And I think I focus Start over the last year, I've really started to focus on the blog side okay. and making that the best place. And, Also driving a lot of traffic from Google, trying to improve Google and trying to drive a lot of traffic from Google to the blog as well, Um, which wasn't happening at the start. Like that was all my traffic to the website was all from socials, Mm -hmm. nothing from Google. Whereas now I'd say half, maybe 60% of my traffic to the site is Google. That's good, man. Which is awesome, yeah.
0: No, that's awesome, man. And you now—I mean, you now do the food blogging full time, don't you? You now make make a living totally off of that. Yeah. So how how long have you done that for? And how did you go about doing that? Because there are going to be so many people listening to this who, you know, maybe not in the food blogging world or in the podcasting world, but you know, something. Right. A lot of people have different interests and things they want to build businesses out of and hobbies that they maybe like to earn an income from. So I think a lot of people out there are curious as to how does one go about becoming a full-time food blogger? You know, how did you do
2: that? Yeah, it's crazy. Even when I think now I'm sitting here, I'm like, it's just weird, like how, how this has all happened. Um, (laughs) So it all starts from it being a passion. Mm -hmm. So it has to be a passion for you. Uh, You have to enjoy turning up every day and doing the same thing. So I'd say that's, that's a key, key point. And, and one of the things that I did, so although I started three and a half years ago, it took me, I was getting brand collaborations coming through, coming through through Instagram and stuff because I still had, was growing a following. So I was mm-hmm. getting interaction from brands. But I decided that I would pick and choose a couple just to sort of learn how the process worked more than actually doing it for the money. Um, And I learned a little bit about how that relationship works with the brand. I would turn like 99% down for the first, say, two years. And it was about a year and a half ago, just over a year ago, when I decided, right, now's my time to, I've held off waiting for the bigger stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And now's my time to sort of, you know, really start turning it into, a business as yeah. such so I started focusing around then approaching the bigger brands that I wanted to you know having that being held off and not doing the smaller stuff I felt like really helped me as well mm. um but obviously not everyone has that choice um, and
0: what kind of, how do you how do you choose what kind of brands to approach because in the world of food blogging to me it doesn't seem obvious sort of what those partnerships and collaborations would be. So is this with, um, I don't, I don't know what sort of, what sort of companies did you, did you approach? How did you go
2: about mapping? I think it's a lot of it just comes, I I tend to work. Well, only work with brands that I use products wise already. So if, if a brand approaches me that I don't know of, or, you know, not really used, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's quite easy because you just look in your cupboard and be like, mm. right, there's that peanut butter. I want to work with them.
0: Okay, and so, you just hit them up. So like, pro- so ing- almost like in- ingredient companies or like like specific product companies yeah. of things that you use in your recipes.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I work with brands like can create a recipe using their products. Mm, okay. And it might not be sound actually like a lot of. Potential ones there, but it's actually a lot bigger than you think. Yeah. The amount of products there are. Um, yeah,
0: it's just interesting because it. I'm always interested when I speak to people who do things that are because it, 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 it's very it's very niche, isn't it? Mm. It's I mean it's not just niche in the term in the sense that you it's a food blogging, but you know gluten free, dairy free, yeah. you know primarily a plant based food blogging. It's like that's like a niche of a niche of a niche. Yeah so it's always interesting to me when i meet people who in in any sector do something that just makes me go like oh wow okay that's not something i'd ever that's not something i I'd, I'd kind of thought that you yeah. can you can kind of do so yeah uh,
2: cool. yeah i haven't really thought of it that way that it is a niche a niche in a way yeah mm. i think it's um because i've built up to a point where probably the second biggest gluten free blogger in the uk um mm-hmm. Maybe across Europe as well. Possibly something mm-hmm. like that. When it comes to a guy aspect, big, biggest by far. because I don't actually know anyone else. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's I think that's really helped um, being different. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really helped me have a be a different voice in a heavily crowded market from yeah. a female voice.
0: And how do you, how do you connect with the audience directly, given your work is, you know, it's, it's food-based, it's recipes, it's, it's, um, you know, if someone goes on the Instagram, they'll see pictures of the food, occasional picture of you, but you know, it's primarily about the food. So given that, how do you, how do you connect with people on a sort of human level? Or is that not, is that not super duper? important in the food world or if it is how do you how do you do it rather than it just being about the food and about the pictures
2: yeah good question um i, I think at the start i originally didn't want to put myself in front of the camera at all like i mm-hmm. i was so like i just wanted to hide away and just sure. hide behind my phone put instagram photos out cooking food and then i started to realize that actually People aren't necessarily just coming for my recipes. They're coming because they you know, follow the journey and trust in me and want to get to know me as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned that mainly because of following other people. And I was like, well, I connect with certain people via listening to them talk on stories, for example. Sure. And you, you feel like you start to know someone, don't you? Uh, so I think I really focused on when stories came out, I even remember when stories came out, it was probably two and a half years ago, something yeah, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, And I was petrified of being on camera. Like I'd never <laughs> put even, I'd, I think I'd Instagram for maybe a year without even putting myself video on camera.
0: Oh wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. So, cause stories was the first real point about having a chance to do that. Wasn't mm-hmm. it? There was no, other way of really doing that. And now stories are so normal, but back then that was a really like crazy thing sure. to come out. Um, so I i would do stand there and take do like 50 takes of me filming myself doing a recipe. And then it just got cr- like silly because I was just standing there like selfie <laughs> doing 50 takes. <laughs> I'm burning stuff behind me. I oh, know. And then, you know, just like oh, I just wanted to give up. I just kept doing it, kept practicing. And just really understood how people connected um, with listening to the real parts behind the scenes. Yeah. So now I just do. I don't need to do any takes. Like, it's just come. I mean, I might do it if I say something stupid or <laughs> irrelevant. But I yeah, kind yeah. of like just do it straight off now. Okay. Um, and I think that comes across, and people really connect to seeing the authentic, like true you behind the food um i think that's really helped with my recipes doing doing really well now
0: that's cool man and where's your audience mainly based is it primarily? Instagram. okay no i was i meant geographic oh
2: oh right um uk london okay. uk based heavily okay, cool. uk based um okay. and it's the 25 to 35 range on instagram and heavily Mostly female women. as well. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> I think ninety
0: percent. Wow. <laughs> of are female, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think my. I think my podcast and YouTube are like ninety percent male. Actually, maybe yeah. the podcast is like 80, 20. but um, yeah. It, it, with me, it, it with me it varies a lot platform to platform. Like my YouTube audience is like very very male dominated. Um, Twitter and Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, more of a mix. All of them male dominated, but maybe like. 60 40 ish yeah um but yeah i think definitely yeah definitely definitely the food world i think uh, i think there, there are just certain sectors where it's like all right that's you're gonna you're gonna get male dominant there you're gonna get female dominant there and
2: you know it's i think of- i think especially from the sort of like niching down into a niche area like you said uh, the most of my i'm not vegan but a lot of my recipes are vegan or plant-based yeah i do eat fish occasionally but i have a dairy I don't eat dairy. Can't eat eggs. So, like, I kind of just exclude. I I don't eat meat either. I I Mm -hmm. stopped about two years ago, or year and a half ago. Um, So, I think the space that I'm in is heavily female dominated, anyway. Yeah,
0: I think to do if if you, I think in the world of food, to have a male dominated audience, you'd you'd need to just do like sort of carnivore based barbecued yeah. like like just like pierre like just gym just, gym based yeah yeah just like th- throwing meat throwing meat on a grill I, I think even like normal gym based stuff you'd probably still get a female leaning yeah, just because yeah i think i think if you want for, for a male focus it would have to be like really sort of like obvious just like manly like yeah just yeah throw some elk on the grill kind of thing you know joe Rogan stuff, real
2: macho yeah yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. So what are your um what are your aspirations with it all now? I mean, where do you see this going? Are you have you ever done any live events or are you thinking about it? Where where, where do you plan to go with it all?
2: I started doing so that was another thing. I just put off doing cooking demos and things like that, public speaking, So it was literally like my number one fear. Mm. Um I think that maybe Do you know, do you know became... what that's called? No. It's called normal. normal.
0: It's called glossophobia and it's actually the most common fear.
2: Is it?
0: Yeah, it's the most it's the most common phobia. It's called glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. So just a, just a random fact there. Uh, in fact, more people more people when surveyed are afraid of public speaking than of death. So Yeah, just ran I don't know how they surveyed yeah. that, but I just thought it was an interesting fact to throw out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I mean I totally was one of those. Okay. Um like a, I was, I think a lot of it came from being so confined for like mm. so many years. I wasn't socially interacting with people, and then to stand up and do a cooking demo in front of hundred people, yeah, sounded like a horrific experience. <laughs> like it wasn't something I, I I would I was turning them down for probably a few years in okay. that time, um, just because I didn't feel ready to put myself under that stress, mm-hmm. and then. I think part of the tough thing is to actually say yes. Once you say yes and you feel like you're committed into doing something, mm-hmm. I was ready to kind of just get stuck in and do it. I did have a bit of hypnotherapy, helped me sort of navigate through the fear a bit better um, okay. and understand that it, you know it's not why maybe those issues have come up for me in the past. Um, you know, bullying and all that type of stuff that mm. a lot, a lot of it stems from something that's happened to you in the past. Um, so I've, I've dealt with a few of those things and I got to the point where I just felt like it was my time to give it a go. Okay. So I did one probably just over a year ago now, I jumped in in front of a hundred people, went great. And I still get extremely nervous. I think I've done six now and I still get really, really nervous doing them because I'm not an extrovert. Like I'm, oh, okay. yeah. I'm well and truly an introvert. Like okay. there's no doubt about that. that um, so I think putting myself out there has been tough for me. Mm. Um, but I'm getting better at it and I do enjoy it afterwards. The, the high that you get afterwards is incredible. Like once you overcome a fear, is the best feeling
0: ever. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm really interested in, in personality in general. I, I'm someone who's, who's a natural, much more of a natural extrovert. Yep. Um, and so it's, sort it's just interesting how, you know, different personality traits have, you know, both there. So for someone like me, I mean, I don't know. I think you can be an extrovert, but learn to, almost like embrace some, I don't know. I don't want to say like, I think I'm an extrovert who's not like, I think some people could almost imagine that I'm an introvert. Does that Hmm. make sense? Just like, I think there are people who are natural introverts, but if you sort of saw them on camera or met them in public or something, you'd get the feeling that they're like a natural extrovert. So I'm kind of cool being like home alone for a day and Just kind of doing my stuff on my computer or whatever. But I do find if after if I do that for like two days running or something, I do get this like, okay, I just need to like go out and be amongst other human beings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like yeah that I, makes I, sense. I get I get wound up like more more quickly in that sense. But then on the plus side, it means, you know, I've got no fear of talking to strangers. I can run around and talk to thousands of people and have done. And I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. I can jump on a stage and rap for people or talk or you know whatever and yeah like i'm cool fine in that sense so it's all it's everything's just a balance you
2: know everything yeah it is it's it's like you said it's a public speaking is a big Mm. issue for a lot of people and i think it is getting over that first hurdle like uh, people kept saying to me oh you need to just chuck yourself in and do it and i was like well i just i think that's good but i also think you need to be ready Mm. mentally to do it so I don't think like say public speaking is your biggest fear in the whole world going and standing in front of a thousand people is mm. probably not a good idea like yeah. I know a lot of people are like you know feel the fear in any way and I do believe that but I feel like you have to put in work to get to that point yeah like it's not as simple as just chuck yourself up there and see what happens because. I think it's important to build to that point. And that was what I did personally. I felt like I needed to build to that point that I was then ready, even though, you know, 10 minutes before I was having a meltdown and didn't want to be up there, (laughs) but I just realized that, you know, I was there and had to do it then. Yeah. Um, But I built up to that point.
0: Yeah. Look, you should build up to anything. I mean, I I use the analogy of if you take someone who's never been to the gym before, right. And then you just uh, chuck like, you know, 150 kg on a bar and try to get them to squat it or chuck 100 kg on a bar and try to get them to bench press it like unless they're you know a natural natural strength freak then they're just going to get hammered right so you need to build
2: people people don't want to hear that though yeah they want that quick easy fix and that's you know around sort of food and lifestyle and fitness that doesn't happen like it's it takes time to to improve the way that you eat or sleep or anything in that in that area of health like yeah. it's it takes time
0: to yeah every, like every, everything worth doing takes time everything worth doing 100 much okay maybe not yeah every, but <laughs> most yeah. Thing, almost everything yeah. worth doing almost everything worth doing take takes time um you know you, there's no there's no skill that you're going to just develop just by you know clicking your any anytime you do something for the first time you're probably going to suck it doesn't matter yeah doesn't matter what it is, you know, the first time I ever tried rapping, you know, I, I sucked at it. The first time you tried cooking, you probably sucked at it. The first time you yeah. tried to make a video or do an Instagram post or do whatever, it's never gonna it's never gonna be great. But you've gotta, you know, get through that stage of you know, people fear judgment from others. Uh, so that's yeah. why people are afraid of public speaking. People fear judgment yeah. from others. So once you can kind of overcome that hurdle, and if you can do it in one area. Then a lot of the value of it, I think, is that it, it can translate to other areas. So, a hundred
2: percent. Like the there, yeah, that that public speaking side has helped my confidence in the stories and Instagram side, and just accepting like who I am and what I'm good at, and mm. just being good at that, and not focusing on maybe my weaknesses. I just focus on my strengths and really do them as good as I can. Um, but obviously you just have to learn the process. Like it's my face on Instagram, look a hundred million times better than the first ones (laughs) I ever took. If you scroll right back to the beginning, um, you know, that's all self-taught, but it's just time, isn't it? Just, if you want something bad enough, you'll put in the time to get to that point.
0: Amen. And that sounds like a strong note to finish this off on. Uh, James, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Before we go, let the listeners know where they can find you and follow you online and check out some of your recipes.
2: So all the recipes are on healthylivingjames.co.uk. That's the blog. Um, Instagram, I'm at healthylivingjames. Facebook at healthylivingjames. And Twitter at healthylivingjw. And on Pinterest as well.
0: Awesome. James, thanks White. for having me. You're welcome, man. Thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Thank you. I am the man. Sick with the slang. Sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand you destined for pain. I do not front. I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a ring. Clicking a bang. Y'all not remember the name. Y'all remember the name.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels.